and welcome to the 10K Media Podcast. I'm super excited about our guest today. It's Barack Shuster, the CTO and co-founder of Bridge Crew. Barack, how are you doing? Hey, Adam. What's up? I'm doing pretty good here. It's I'm doing well. It's a little it's a little late your time. I know you mentioned uh, getting a coffee, but I think it's around 10, 10 p.m. at time of recording over by you, burning some some midnight oil over there. <laughs> yeah, at least it was a, a lovely morning over here. We have a beautiful weather here in Tel Aviv. Oh, very good. Well, thanks for taking the time. I, I want to get right into it. Um, you know, this is still a relatively new podcast, and my goal here is to have on DevOps experts of, of all stripes, um, regardless of whether I have a relationship with them directly or not. But obviously, Bridge Crew and 10K Media started working together just before the acquisition. And so you're actually the, the, the company that, that opened up the world of security to me. I mean, obviously, I've seen DevSecOps and the rise of DevSecOps um, happen from a little bit of a distance. I, I've been primarily focused on Dev and Ops without that sort of new security piece in the middle. But it's a whole interesting, uh, fascinating world that's, that's really exploding. Um, so I want to get into a bunch of things. But to, to start, I'm interested in the open source project Chekhov. Um, by the time this podcast is released, Chekhov 2.0, which is the, the, the new deluxe version, will be out in the world. So can you give some background on just Chekhov in general as a project? Yeah, so Chekhov is, is basically a static code analysis for infrastructure as code manifests. So if you're a developer that is using Terraform, CloudFormation, Kubernetes, serverless framework, and others, you have the ability to create policies. There is a, an area called policy as code. You can create policies in YAML or Python and enable your engineers to stay within a, a safe zone of best practices while they're developing those kinds of manifests. So if an engineer, for example, want to create a new S3 bucket on AWS, they can do that. And Chekhov, as a, a virtual security advocate, will tell them, hey, you've just written this Terraform or CloudFormation snippet. You should really add versioning and encryption and logging and all of those different best practices into your code before applying those into production. Um, so Chekhov does exactly that. Um, and on its new release, we, we enhanced the entire engine. Uh, one, we added the ability to scan Docker files, which is exciting. Another manifest and another framework is always uh, giving the engineers another, another safe zone to play with. Um, and the new framework and the new engine we've created is we introduced graph theory into Chekhov, into the static analysis tool of infrastructure as code. Um, and what, what I, do I mean by graph theory? So generally speaking, graphs are data structures that are used to model relationship between different nodes. And modern cloud infrastructure can be thought as graphs. Compute resources depend on network resources, which in turn depend in access control resources and so on. If we apply this graph theory to policy as code, we can create a policy on top of that relationship between resources. So we can enable developers to focus on the resources that are most important. We can ask questions, for example, like make sure that this VM that is attached to a firewall, a security group in AWS is not publicly exposed. 
So you are doing traversing queries from the internet to the firewall into the EC2 instance, and you make sure that it's not publicly accessible. It really helps you to prioritize and focus as a developer on the right stuff and the right issues that you have in the, your code and to fix them much faster. Yeah, that's great. So I, it it's totally free to use, right? Chekhov, it's an open source project, which I love. Um, adding a lot of value. Um, and I guess maybe we can we can touch on this for a second because there's Bridge Crew, the platform, and then there's Chekhov, the open source project. And um, how do you balance that in terms of, you know, priorities and in terms of engineering resources? Is, is that a challenge? It seems like, you know, Chekhov has a huge community, right? I think it's been downloaded over a million times, maybe closer to 1.5 million times by today. Um, so in a way it boomerangs back to you, right? Like you, you, you're generally or genuinely altruistic and, and want to add value, but it, it does also open up sort of a lead funnel for the, for the bridge crew platform, right? So maybe you can, for, for maybe there's other entrepreneurs out there in this space that are trying to balance um, a top down approach, enterprise approach with a bottoms up community approach and, and bridge crew seem to have really struck a nice balance there. Yeah, it, it seems to be working so far. Um, so, so Bridge Crew is both a SaaS product-led growth company and an open source or open core company. And how does those two work together or why to go open source and product-led growth? And it, it has several reasons. Um, one is our audience. Our main audience are DevOps engineers and successful DevOps projects and the way that DevOps are used to consume products is mainly via open source. Um, if you go way back, think of Chef and Puppet, which started as open source projects, and then Terraform and Kubernetes. Any infrastructure, any core infrastructure that DevOps are used to consume that is not the public, that are not the public cloud providers themselves, they are used to consume it as open source first and commercial second. So if we want to reach out into that market and we want to give value and, and um, capitalize on top of that market. That's a good way to get into the heart of those developers um, to gain trust. And then at the end, after you're give, getting trust, giving value uh, to, to create, a, to give some value back to your own company um, in matters of sales. And yeah. we chose to open source Chekhov because when you're building a static analysis tool, what you need is a set of policies, a set of rules. And we really wanted to, to crowdsource that specific, that specific need because it's hard to create a bunch of best practices in, in, in the area of the cloud. Each organization is seeing something different. Engineers in um, the Airbnbs and Netflix and Salesforce of the world see some kind of security challenges in the cloud. And small startups are seeing different challenges. And you want to have everybody under a single hub creating those best practices, those rules for infrastructure as code. And this is how the community around Chekhov was for. A lot of people writing a lot of policies, a lot of checks um, that helps other engineers to make their cloud um, more mature. So how did Chekhov become so popular? I mean, it's only been around a couple of years and um, you know, over a million downloads of, of it and a lot of people are using it. 
Um, was it just, it really scratched and itched and sort of took off organically or, or was there some muscle that, that bridge crew put behind it to really make it fly? Um, yeah, just interested in it because it seems, you know, like it became very popular very fast. So our journey into building Chekhov started actually with, uh, we started without an open source product, just with a product-led growth product. And, and, and we interviewed a lot of cloud practitioners, more than 100 practitioners in, in the, the most mature cloud native companies that you can think of and, and the earliest startups. And we asked everybody, how, how do they make sure their cloud environment is secure? We asked mainly DevOps engineers or cloud engineers and infrastructure engineers. Um, and the answer that we got was, hey, we, we see an issue within our cloud environment. We, we decided to create a process where we do pull requests over every change our, on our cloud infrastructure. We are reviewing as peers our Terraform and our CloudFormation manifest and our Kubernetes manifest. And we were giving each other comments over best practices. And when we heard that, we said, hey, we have here a process that we can automate. If we only had a library of, of those best practices, of those comments <clears throat> that people from Netflix are giving to each other, um, for example, maybe we can do the same. So we created this, uh, this set of a small framework with a set of 40, only four, four zero, uh, 40 rules for two frameworks, Terraform and CloudFormation. And we made sure that as an open source project, the thing that would be the most easy is not um, the engine itself, but to contribute a new policy. And that the time to value of an open source project would be less than two minutes. You download it, you scan a directory of manifests, you see the value. When we had those two, uh, we understood that we have something because people really enjoyed writing new policies and started to contribute. And at the same time, we had other open source tools, other companies had other open source tools that didn't have those two functions. The time to value was longer. You needed to do some configurations on your endpoint to run those static analysis open source projects. And to create a, a new rule required a lot of effort or required from you to learn a new language or a new framework. And Chekhov really answered those two pains, the easiness of writing a new policy and the easiness of sharing and using. Um, and it really solved a lot of pains to a lot of people. And then we, we have done a lot of uh, developer advocacy and uh, marketing 2.0, marketing for de developers activities that that helped us to reach to a wider crowd um, yeah no i love does it, it make sense? Think, yeah yeah no and i i you know this is where my heart is right in the bottoms up motions um i've seen so many times now startups sort of um get caught up in enterprise deals that take a long time to close but they're big numbers right you know they're they're you know maybe six figure deals um, but you just spend so much time building out things that like one customer wants because you want that quick money for the quarter. And there's probably board pressure for to hitting numbers and all these other things. But I think when you have, when you're adding value to people and you're giving it away and you have so many people passionate about what you're doing, um, that to me is the bigger win, even if in the shorter term, maybe it means less revenue 
in the immediate future. And uh, it's nice to see that model prove out because, you know, Palo Alto um, obviously acquired Bridge Crew uh, just last month. And, um, you know, that open source community, that groundswell of enthusiasm, uh, I imagine it's fair to say was part of what was attractive about Bridge Crew to them. Is that is that correct? Definitely. The, the traction that Bridge Crew had as an open source company and as a bottom-up product-led growth company really was really compelling for Palo Alto. And I think the story of Palo Alto is also really compelling to us as a company to be able to distribute our software to even more engineers and to be part of the largest security firm out there gives us the opportunity to grow more and more developer tools and, and to keep our focus on DevOps engineers and developers. Um, so I think that the opportunity that Palo Alto saw in this uh, joint venture and the thing that we saw is the ability to reach out to more engineers out there and by that to more companies and to give more value and to keep it as open source uh, company. And I, I love that a whole new Chekhov 2.0 with 250 new policies generated by the bridge crew team. Um, the Docker file scanner you mentioned, this, this uh, graph framework that's gonna enable complex understanding of context when evaluating you know, the, the, the cloud infrastructure security, all of this really shows that even post acquisition, bridge crew is still very much dedicated to, to open source and, and to the developer. So we, we are investing a lot in open source and we are going to create other open source tools uh, in the upcoming year. Um, so uh, feel free to, to reach out if you wanna join and collaborate over cloud and DevOps and security issue that you have. And if you want to join and collaborate over open source tools, we would be more than happy to, to assist and for you to join our community. So the, the Chekhov 2.0, I just want to close out here because really what's groundbreaking about it, I mean, obviously new policies are great. Docker file scanners is great. You know, that'll help developers build more, let's say secure Kubernetes applications and things like that. But the graph framework, I, I just want to, it's the first open source um, build time scanner to have this, right? And in a weird way, I mean, obviously Chekhov was already providing value but without that context awareness you were talking about, without that dependency awareness, you know, there's only so accurate it's gonna be because the context matters a lot, right? It matters if the VM is open to the world or not when you're trying to prioritize it as a security issue. So can you, can you talk about this piece of it just a little more? Yes, so there are great frameworks that are trying to help you as an engineer to to focus on what's what's out there. And those frameworks are, up until today, were mainly focused on runtime. You had to provision resources, misconfigured resources in your cloud, and then verify if they're configured correctly or not, and that the relationship between one resource to another is good and in, in a good shape. Um, and you can could do this scan and this analysis only on top of runtime frameworks. So let's take an example. You had an EC2 instance that is um, attached to an EBS volume. The EBS volume is not encrypted. And the same uh, EC2 instance is attached to a security group and a network ACL uh, that is enabling to be to that instance to be public. Uh, 
And the issue with it is you can have four different issues, the unencrypted DBS, the public security group, um, the public net network ACL, et cetera. Or you can have a single one telling you, hey, if you will just change one configuration, you will knock off four different Jira tickets that are going to be applied. And if you have that experience on build time, you're getting this value while you code either part of the Chekhov code extension or a Chekhov pre-commit hook, you're able to see those issues while, while you code and limit your code, uh, the manifest that you're working on. So you're preventing both a runtime issue from appearing and you're preventing noise in your backlog in, in Jira. And uh, you're just do doing a better job as an engineer. Totally, yeah, I think one thing that's interesting and maybe would be helpful to, to listeners too is just, I see a lot of companies struggle with whether it's open source or whether it's just like a free community tier, how much value do we give away for free? You know, because um, I could imagine Chekhov was already adding value and could have kept it where it is. And then sort of the 2.0 updates could have been, you know, actually a, a bridge crew SaaS update, right? Where you only get the graph framework in some sort of paid SaaS version or something like that. Um, so so how, how do you navigate that? So I, I do think a lot of companies are are struggling with this. They want people to use what they're building. They, they want to spread, you know, horizontally and get a lot of people touching it. But at the same time, they don't want to give away so much value that there's not really compelling reasons to start paying for it. Um, so are you involved? I know you're the CTO and sometimes those decisions aren't quite in the engineering technical realm, but would be interested if you have thoughts there on how to balance those priorities. One of the things that were important for us as, uh, as an open source company is not just to release an open source out there, but it's just to have an ongoing conversation with those open source users. That's, that's the thing that really helped us to understand where should be product value or open source value, product commercial value, I mean. Um, so anytime we did a talk, a webinar, or anytime someone created a GitHub issue or mentioned a bug over a Slack message of the community in the Slack community channel, we reached out, we had a 30 minutes to one hour call with that specific um, person that have created that issue. And we asked them a set of questions. We actually have done interviews to something like 200 open source users up until now. Um, and we asked them the same set of questions. How do you use Chekhov today? What kind of policies you find more valuable? What other features would you like it to see? Who are the users within your org that are using that? And in some of those questions, we discovered new workflows within the organization. In our case, we discovered the workflow between an engineer and a compliance officer. And this is where we decided to have a commercial offering only around compliance. And the other thing that we understood is that it's hard for engineers to scale and educate other more junior engineers about cloud security. So we decided to create another feature in the platform, which is automatic fixes to code. And then we interviewed another engineer and he told us, hey, the thing that I really need is a dashboard to show my manager that I'm getting better over time in my cloud security posture. So we added a dashboard um, <laughs> and we added more and more of those features. 
and we always made sure that the platform's onboarding is keeping the same principles of fast value, um, easy configuration, and, and really, really easy um, configuration for um, workflows within the engineering pipelines from GitHub applications to GitLab, Bitbucket, and Slack, that people really understood that the, the commercial offering can really help you to scale from one engineer that is using an open source or a small team that is using an open source tool to a wider company and answer wider needs. So my tip for other entrepreneurs that are thinking to create an open source model and are wondering what should they give free and, and what should they take money for is give a small portion for, for free and, and in an open source module as a start. See that it gives an end-to-end -end value and then interview your engineers that are using that tool. Uh, what other needs can you answer them for? And take it from there. Yeah, I love that advice. And I, I think that's spot on. Um, I want to get into the space a little bit because, you know, I think if you're in it, if you're, if you're in the DevSecOps world, you, you understand these differences between, let's say, infrastructure security and application cloud security and things like that. Cause, cause bridge crew kind of competes more directly with like maybe Acuris or Aqua security. But in terms of like my outside perception of it, um, you guys are doing really cool stuff in the infrastructure security cloud dev space. And then sneak is doing really cool stuff in like the application space. And I think you two are like the real main kind of fun, cool players that, that I keep my eyes on here. And it reminds me a little bit when I was at Datadog, they were doing like pretty squarely infrastructure monitoring. And then, you know, there were players like New Relic and AppDynamics that were doing APM application stuff. And it was kind of inevitable that they were either going to acquire other companies to offer both or to just build things to offer both because at some point the end user just wanted sort of one platform for both the infrastructure and the application monitoring, if that makes sense. And I'm curious, maybe for one, is you could just tease out the differences between what Bridge Crew is focused on, the automated infrastructure cloud security, and then what a player like Sneak is, is thinking about and how they differ, and maybe even how they're complementary. And then also, if you agree with me that, that these worlds are going to collide and congeal uh, in, in the future. So first, I, I, I have to say that I love all of the companies that you've mentioned. I love Datadog and I love Sneak and I obviously love what Bridgeview is doing. And I think that the thing that a lot of those companies are doing, the thing that we're all building is we're trying to look at our problem spaces as a productivity issue. Um, in the case of Bridgeview, you have a DevOps engineer. Uh, you want as a dev, you want your developer engineer to be more productive and to enjoy his day to day and to not to work on repetitive, boring tasks. You don't want this uh, burnout for your team. And Snake has the same motion for application security engineers. Um, and Datadog uh, originally had the same motion for NOC teams and SOC teams and monitoring teams. And the thing that we all want those those people to have is, is a better day at the end of the day um, and to be able to advance to their next stage of interest or the next stage of their career. So 
I mentioned before the interviews that we've done and we discovered that a lot of those people are doing code reviews in our case to fix each other. Well, we understood that it's a, a boring task for a DevOps engineer uh, to do, to do those, all of those repetitive code reviews. Um, and, and people told us, I'm, I'm tired of telling people to do the same thing over and over again. And after they're installing Chekhov or Bridge Group, they're like, you helped me scale. Um, uh, you took away of my boring tasks and now I can focus on architecting the cloud or focus on the interesting stuff. And I think that Datadog have done the same. Um, they automated the process of aggregating logs and metrics, which can be repetitive uh, in some places. And they created a very easy way to create a, a monitoring dashboard on top of it. And the same for Sneak. They've taken the boring task of an application security engineer that is coming a repository and telling you, hey, you should really fix that third-party component. And they made it uh, an automated process in your workflow. So that's what we are all similar um, in, in our approach into that problem space. And each one have decided to focus on a different persona. So are you saying it's a, I mean, Datadog, I do think is different, although they, they've, I mean, I left there a few years ago, but um, they've since gotten into more of the security space, but obviously traditionally they're you know, more in like the ops world, but it seems like Sneak and, and Bridge Crew may have overlapping users, or, or are you saying they're, they're for sort of different personas? I do believe we have overlapping users. I do believe that uh, a DevOps engineer might see himself in application development job and vice versa. And also that both of them can, can manage a discussion between them. It's only a, a matter of where each, each of those companies started uh, their focus at. And I do believe that we will meet uh, somewhere in the middle. Right. I, I, this is an interesting point. I, I think there's two things I wanna to touch on trying to figure out which one I wanna to go to first. If, if you're a security professional, and you are, I mean, looking at your history, right? You've been in security for, for years before Bridge Crew. Uh, I believe you had a company that was acquired by RSA. Is that correct? That's correct. So we, we had a company called uh, Fortskill. Uh, I was actually an employee and not part of the founding team. Um, and, and that company was a very different in, in culture. It was a... Um, top-down company that sold to Fortune 1000 or Fortune 100 company and tried to help them to perform security analytics on top of their logs. So very long sales cycle, very top-down, very heavy deployment, not a SaaS product, but an on-prem one. Um, and there is, a, there is this set of companies, and it was a successful acquisition at the end, but there is this set of companies that uh, are the first generation of security products that answered a very unique need in the data center and in the era of cloud and agile development and DevOps, there is a whole set of new needs that the old products just cannot answer for. And the motion, can, the old motion of, uh, of uh, marketing to those engineers is totally different. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um... But it speak, you know, there's all this developer love, right? And and you know, Andreessen said that sort of cliche quote now at this point that software is eating the world. And you know, it makes sense that a lot of tools and companies are trying to appeal 
to, to that persona. But if you were squarely sort of in the security world and you see all of these tools sort of automating away your expertise in a way, right? Because like Chekhov has a library of policies baked in and I assume people can add more. Um, and it's sort of automatically scanning your code for these type of issues, right? And um, is there a reason if you're a security professional to be, you know, concerned about this? It's not unique to them, right? I mean, in the, in the SRE world, AI ops has become a huge buzz term, right? And, and uh, machines are, are getting smarter and smarter at, at finding issues and, and whatever. Um, but I think in, in that world, machines might get better at addressing anomalies or identifying them, but it still takes some human insight to figure out why did that anomaly happen and to, to do the root cause analysis and, and that kind of stuff. And so is there a parallel here, like, do security professionals still have the same value, and maybe their role is is changing or or adapting? How, how do you see it? That's that's a great question. So I think it's a similar thing that is happening, uh, and it ha have happened in the past before, um, like in software development abstraction, uh, fifteen years ago when we've written in C plus plus or or C, um, we had to worry about um, garbage collection. Uh, we had to worry about memory allocation. Now there is all of those abstraction layers, both in languages like Python or, or, or Java or, or Node, that you don't need to worry about those stuff as in the same way that you needed before. So as an engineer, do you still have a job or, or are you worried? I, I, I guess that you you're still have a job. It's just slightly different. It's more mature, uh, it's more accessible, and you can focus on, on the business as an engineer and the business logic that you write with your code. When you're developing a new application, you don't need to worry the same way you needed to worry before uh, about memory allocation, for example. So as a DevOps engineer, before Chekhov, before BreachCoup, um, you had to worry about stuff like did I configure correctly my database in terms of security best practices? And now you can focus on, is my architecture correct? You can take it to the next higher level. You can use Chekhov and the Chekhov output as a way to get an abstraction layer of the boring stuff. Um, and you can focus on what's really interesting, which is designing a complex architecture that is answering and can scale with your business needs. I think this is a good place to wrap up because I, I want to talk quickly about just this the shift left movement obviously is happening in a lot of ways, right? I mean security is shifting left, but so is ops, right? A lot of this you build it, you own it culture, right? So now theoretically uh, developers are carrying around beepers, at least in our universe of startups. Uh, maybe not beepers anymore, but you get the idea. They, they, they're now responsible for the uptime of their code where in the past they would write the code and then sort of ship it over the wall for the people who were then responsible to stand it up and make sure it, it was reliable. And I get what you're saying <clears throat> that with the rise of these tools, it's more productive. Anything you catch earlier on in the sort of 
software development life cycle will, will lead to more productivity. But I'm just wondering, you know, developers who have no interest in security, and they may have no interest in reliability either, but everyone's telling them, well, now you're responsible for this, this, and this, and your code's got to be secure, and it's got to be reliable. Are we putting too much um, on the developer? Definitely, the developers got more responsibility than they had in the past. Um, but with, with that responsibility, you know, the market changed, the salaries got higher, um, the interest and the challenges have changed too. Um, so I think that our, our market is, is changing, but in a good way. I actually enjoy uh, seeing that um, because I'm thinking about conversations that I had 10 years ago. And I tried to find out, find out if, my, if the software that I'm developing is actually being in use and is my architecture correct? And am I giving value uh, to anyone? And I think that the fact that I'm getting pager duty on, on scale issues that I have in my application and the fact that I need to worry about security means that uh, the work that I'm doing actually matters to someone because people are using the application that you build and you get a validation for that in, in a manner of uh, an alert, which is not the fine way to discover, but you know that your code is really valuable. And you know that the value that you create as a developer mm -hmm. is serving other people. So it can be, in our case, other developers. In other companies, it can be um, health applications. Like we've seen a lot of those in the COVID era being, uh, being developed and going out there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about this motion. And regarding the shift left, it's a movement that have started 20 years ago. It started with QA engineers telling, telling us, the other developers, the application developers, as practitioners, you should really start testing stuff early on. And then they've, they've created this motion of test-driven development and um, automated integration tests and chaos testing and all those kind of tests throughout the, the, the development lifecycle. And then security realized, hey, we can do the same as our QA teams. We can start to be a practitioner telling people, hey, you should really start to have a security architect with you early on. You should perform pen tests early on. And then you should automate those processes of reviewing architecture and application security as part of your development lifecycle. So shift left as a term was coined 20 years ago, and it finally has arrived into security space. Yeah, I love uh... That's a great way to sort of wrap up. I think also the the idea that you know devs just write code in the past and they didn't care about these things. Like even if they didn't care about it, it would come back to them anyway, right? In the form of like a Jira ticket. Even if someone else flagged it and then brought it back to them, it was still work kind of that was eventually loaded onto their plate. And it's usually because it's later on in the in the software development lifecycle, it's harder to address. It takes more time to address. It may be already impacted a customer, right? Whereas if you sort of bake it into the dev workflow, um, it actually makes everyone's life a whole lot easier. Um, but I do think <clears throat> it's an interesting thing because even if it's making devs more productive and uh, and making their lives easier in a lot of ways. 
I can see how all of this shift left stuff can feel like to a developer. I just want to write code and all of this other stuff is shifting left on top of my, my plate. But uh, maybe that's a, that's a further discussion for another time. But uh, I think, I think you, you explained the, the rise of DevSecOps really well for our listeners. So Barack, thank you for taking the time. It's been uh, uh, fun talking to you. Thank you, Adam. All right, everyone. Well, uh, check out checkoff.io if you are interested in learning more about the project, obviously bridgecrew.io. And uh, until next time, this is the 10K Media Podcast.